Ed Moran was born in Wilkes-Barre, and he spent growing up time in Ashley and Hanover Township, too. He's a poet and a writer about writers who's been an associate editor of the Random House Dictionary of the English Language. And he's talked with us on Art Scene over the years about a poet he thinks is not well enough known, and that's Chaim Plutzek. Plutzek was the son of Jewish immigrants who fled the pogroms of Tsarist Russia and settled in America. Plutzek served in World War II and wrote poems out of that experience. Plutzek begins his poem, Paint This World If You Can, with these lines. Like successive layers of leaf that dwindle the sunlight are the overlapping cumulative shadows projected of things which huddle in them darkly, within the greater shadow, suffering. Even though the poem begins with a simile, a direct comparison, the short piece is an extended metaphor. And metaphor is something Ed Moran uses naturally and well. And this comparison will be a key for us. Metaphors are often referred to as bridges, suggesting similarities, but also offering aha moments. Plutzik uses the rich phrase, the overlapping cumulative shadows. And it's as if that's the way Ed Moran considers the layers of historical experience in our lives as overlapping, not distinct. In the poetic essay we're about to hear, it's as if Moran is building a bridge between suffering then and suffering still, and asking us to cross the bridge with him and to trust his poetic instincts in the journey. This essay has an epigraph by the writer Chaim Plutzik, who wrote in his book, Letter from a Young Poet, quote, Men have been lynched and will be, alas. Men have died of silicosis in tunnels. On suffocation. My grandfather would have wept for George Floyd. My grandfather was a coal miner and knew what suffocation was like, but he would have known without a doubt that his sufferings could not compare to the specter of a human being lying motionless in the streets, begging for breath from the police. It was not the kind of America he wanted his grandchildren to inhabit. My grandfather died 79 years ago in a coal mining accident. On St. Patrick's Day, 1942, he was returning from his shift at the Franklin Colliery in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, when he stumbled into an unlighted pit and pitched to his death 50 feet below. The coal company hastily installed lights the next day before the state inspectors came through and sent a wreath to the funeral. I never met my grandfather. He died five years before I was born. The only picture I ever saw of him in his miner's gear was a photographic negative where his black smudged face appeared white, his darksome face smudged with faith's bright minstrelsy, in the words of a poem I wrote about this man who would forever loom large in my ancestral imagination. Whenever I look at vintage photographs of Breaker Boys, I wonder if his is one of the faces staring at me across six score years. He was eight years old in 1896 when he started working in the anthracite mines, decades before progressive legislation would bar boys under 14 from working underground. The coal mines around Wilkes-Barre were still productive through my childhood in the 1950s. 
I remember sitting on my front porch watching legions of black-faced miners trooping out of the pits every day, except Sunday, when the mine owners, they were mostly Presbyterian, affirmed their adherence to the cycle of creation by declaring a Sabbath rest. The TV had just come to our Green Valley around that time, bearing news reports of Negroes marching for their rights in Montgomery and Little Rock. In my childhood naivete, I assumed the coal miners surrounding me were Negroes, too, but they were totally black from head to toe, and their work clothes and their lunch pails, too. It was not until I met a person of color for the first time, when I was 16, that I began to think otherwise. Our weary world has changed much since those days of toil and trouble. I welcome with gladdened heart the way my ancestral land of Ireland has become one of the planet's strongest advocates of diversity and human rights. I'm reminded of how Frederick Douglass visited Ireland during the famine years to enlist Irish support for the abolition of slavery in the United States. I know that Marcus Garvey was greatly inspired by the revolutionary fervor of those who participated in the 1916 Easter Rising. As a gay man, I am especially proud that Ireland, who would have thought it, became the first nation to approve marriage equality by a nationwide referendum. I am proud also that the former Tushek, Prime Minister Leo Varadkar, is a gay man of mixed heritage whose father hails from Mumbai and his mother from Waterford. From what I know of my grandfather, I trust he is looking down from heaven with a kindly eye on these developments. As one of the huddled masses from the post-famine generation, I doubt whether he could be considered legal by today's immigration policies, he knew both the overwhelming pain of exile and the transformative power of struggle. And I know that he would have wept for George Floyd and legions of others who had choked his submission by lynching, whether by noose or by knee. As children in coal country, we were exposed to blackface every day. It was not a sign of prejudice, but of abundance, knowing that our fathers and grandfathers were toiling underground to put food on the table and clothes on our backs. But how must we today reckon with the insouciant way we sported blackface in our parochial school minstrel shows? I'm thinking of Noel Ignatius' How the Irish Became White, a book that challenges me to examine my own conscience and repent for the besetting sin of privilege. And yet we were among the privileged, able to scrub away our Polish camouflage at the end of a working day or when the curtain fell on our minstrelsy. Our dreams might have been deferred, might have sagged with a heavy load of 16 tons in the company's store, but we were graced to move with an incredible lightness of being, knowing that our black face was merely masquerade, never a sentencing for life to the sad penitentiary of otherness in America. I know it is my grandfather's prayer that we must distance ourselves from the pale-faced legions of Minneapolis and Charlottesville and Selma and a thousand other places in this, our America. We must distance ourselves from those who would see whiteness as a privilege and a weapon, not as an opportunity to share our gifts and multiply our talents for the benefit of all, to welcome the exile and the stranger, to give hope to the hopeless, breath to the breathless, to call out hatred and racism for the evil that it is, a sin crying to heaven for vengeance. We are all Minneapolis on Patty's Day. Poet and literary biographer Ed Moran, born in Wilkes-Barre, growing up in Ashley and 
Hanover Township. Reading his essay that first appeared on anthracitunite.org. He is also literary advisor to the Plutzik estate. Chaim Plutzik, the poet, Ed Moran has written the afterword for a new collection of the work of Chaim Plutzik. And the foreword to that collection is written by President Obama's inaugural poet, Richard Blanco. The title is 32 Poems, and there are translations. For more information, on the web, HaimPlutzikPoetry.com, HaimPlutzikPoetry.com, and Plutzik is spelled P-L-U-T-Z-I-K, HaimPlutzikPoetry.com. <laughs>